Uh, we had some computer troubles this morning, so I'm going to touch base with you, Brooklyn, and find out if you've gotten an update for media. The very first thing you should see on your screen is, nope. Do you see something that says Cedar Way? Okay, so we're just going to fly. You, Brooklyn, don't put anything up here. This means you might want to grab notes from your phone to jot things down. You will not have a visual here, and you get to pay attention to me. So that's pretty awesome. Um, first of all, I wanted to share if I can find it. Guys. Oh, there it is. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. 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 Cool. 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 Well, okay. This is not just about Cedar Way. This is also um, just kind of an update on our local missions and what we're doing to help in our community and ways that you can be involved if you're looking for a way to be involved. And that includes those of you at home. And um, I just want to say most of our giving and donations are coming from those of you that are watching at home. And I just think that's really cool. So thank you for engaging in that way and loving our community really well. Um, I got an email last Sunday um, from a woman, and it was in regards to, um, where did it go? Come on, baby. Fire it up. Fire it up. I could just, like, give you the gist of it. But her email's way cooler than what I would give you. Okay, yep, yep, nope, nope, yep, 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 nope, 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 yep, yep. Do you feel like you're on the Muppet Show? Mm, it's not working. Oh, someone just signed up for church. <laughs> Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. So this is a great time for me to remind you that anytime you want to, you can go to brookviewchurch.com and RSVP for church. And Jason and I, we have our phone alerts on. And if you heard that, it is such a happy sound when that comes in. And so last night, we had middle school students at our home, um, Rebecca Ellersick, um, coordinated a gathering for all of them to hang out at our house. And it was so cool that we were sitting around the table at dinner time and all of a sudden our phones went bling and then five minutes later bling and then some people they sign up for child care and church service and so it goes bling bling and we were all like this is so fun and they were like wow your Saturdays are pretty awesome here so thank you for bringing joy to our lives by um, signing up for church <laughs> as well okay to the point Jennifer here we go I got this. Um, I cannot find the email, but I'll give you the gist of the email. Basically, this woman from the community reached out explaining that she is a senior citizen that has been without work since April. And she said, for whatever reason, either I don't know how to navigate it or it just doesn't exist, but I've fallen through all of the cracks. And there is no support or resources for me. And your give or get pantry has been a lifeline for me in this season. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for doing that and providing that for people like me. And she said, I come and I drop things off whenever I can, but I also pick them up, and so thank you. So we still have that going. Um, I also want to just give a huge shout out to Bob Crozier. He comes in. Yeah. 
he comes in and he organizes that at least once a week, sometimes three times. He cleans it out. He makes sure that we don't have rodents living there. Um, so far, the only rodents we've found are human beings that are not being very responsible about taking um, things. And so Bob said last Sunday, it's going to take a lot more than that to get me down. So um, anyway, Bob, thank you for loving well and serving. That wouldn't be open without you. I don't have what, what I need to be able to come over here every week and do that. So thank you for making that available to the community and to those of you that have donated, you've given money, and we make sure that that gets stocked. And then when it's overstocked, we pull things aside and we take them to this Cedar Way. Hit it, Brooklyn, it's your time. Um, and we have a monthly distribution of food that happens at the local elementary school just down the street from us. And essentially cars pull up and we throw bags of groceries in. And we partner with their local PTA, um, but we get to be the church and, and live love in that way for them. And so that's happening again this week and we still have a few items that we need. It happens on Tuesday. So any donations that you might have you can bring to the church and drop off over here on this side door during the week, and we grab those. We make sure that um, they're not staying there for hours on end for animals to get into. Um, Trevor, who runs the village, comes over and checks that um, twice a day. So if you are able to do that and donate some of these items that are still left on our list, the way that you can get access to that list is to text the word Cedar Way to our Brookview number, which is 425-406-3660. And that, when you text that word there, it'll give you instant access to that list. Additionally, on that spreadsheet, that sign up, there are items for Vision House, and that is um, a, a group um, that is a Christ-centered organization that helps families that are facing homelessness get back on their feet and then within five years graduate and be self-sustaining. Um, and their success rate is off the charts for um, a group doing this kind of work. And so if you ever want to um, hear about Vision House, you can always do a Google search, and they've got a lot of information on their website. But we bring them things that are, um, that are helpful to them, things like toothpaste and soap and toothbrushes and pull-ups and diapers and that kind of stuff. So you'll see those things on the list as well, and we're collecting those by Tuesday this week to make a delivery to Vision House. So again, thank you for all that you're doing, the way that you are being so generous to those in need during this difficult time. Um, I'm excited. This morning, Jason is going to start a new series. It's going to last for five weeks, and it is on Scripture. It's on the Bible, and I will not wreck anything except to say I think it's going to be awesome because he's awesome, but also the topic is awesome. Um, and during those five weeks that we are in this series, all of our life groups will be talking about this. This will be kind of the, the topic so that you can dig in deeper, so that you have smaller environments where you can ask questions that you might have um, and then work together to figure out what is the answer, what is going on here. And so if you aren't in a life group, 
I want to invite you to do that. Get into that smaller community. We have those that meet in person, and we have them that meet online. And so if you would like to do that, you can email the church, brookviewchurchbriar at gmail.com, or you can text the word group. I wasn't sure if it was group or groups. It's group to the Brickview number, and we will get back to you this week and find a good fit for you. Um, this is going to be the last on-ramp for life groups for the winter quarter. And this winter quarter runs January through the end of March. And so that would be the commitment that you're making right now to get into one of those, is to go from January to March. So those are happening all during the, the week, and we just invite you to be a part of that. That's it. That's all I got. Um, it's so good to be in your homes or in your car and then with you in person this morning. And I'm just going to pray for you or for me. <laughs> God, thank you uh, that we get to be in this place. I feel like this is a bit of a broken record, but I really am thankful for the technology that allows us to continue to seek God and to, to pursue you together. Um, God, would you... Would you meet with us in a special way this morning? I pray that your spirit would move wherever we find ourselves. And God, you would open our hearts and our minds to the things of you, that we would be reminded of things we already know, but then grab hold of things we maybe haven't thought of before. So God, um, just come. Prepare us. Prepare our hearts. In your name I pray. Amen. There we go. Oh, man. Yeah. By the way, I have enough volume to fill this room. This is mostly for the people that are online, in case you're wondering. What? You do? Thank you, brother. All right. I can project with the best of them. So today, we are, as Jen said, starting this five-week series on the Bible, right? On Scripture. And I think there are a few logical places to start off a, conversa a conversation on Scripture. We, we could start a discussion with all of the questions and the problems that late modern Western people have with the Bible, especially people in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, it raises some issues. Has anybody here read it? Yeah, good, okay. 
you guys, it's, it's full of weird stuff. You know, like, why does, why does Ruth sleep at Boaz's feet? Right? Uh, how, does, how does Jacob not recognize Leah on his wedding night? Have you read that one? What's going on there? That's weird. Uh, peculiar. Or, or who are the Nephilim in, in Genesis chapter 6? Right? It, contains, it contains all kinds of cringeworthy stuff. From polygamy to sexual assault to all sorts of holy war. It's full of the miraculous, which is really hard for skeptical people to buy into. And it's got teachings within it that are very, very challenging. Stuff that is bound to make us uncomfortable. So I think we are experiencing a generation-wide breakdown of faith in the Bible. And and I don't just mean like in the broader secular culture. I mean inside the churches, among Jesus followers. Many people now see the Bible as more of an obstacle to faith than an aid to it. Whereas I remember what it was like in the 90s. You guys, I came to Jesus in the 90s. It was awesome. And, and, and I remember what it was like. And if you're like, if you're a, a millennial or you're a Gen Xer and like you grew up in the church, do you remember what it was like with your parents? Like they would, they would read about the battle of Jericho and they would think, oh, isn't that awesome? Look at the power of God. And then they would personalize the story and ask, well, what's my Jericho, right? And how can I march around it? And they would make it allegory, which it isn't. But more and more today, people read the story of Jericho and ask, how is that not genocide in the name of God? And the feeling isn't inspiration. It's trepidation. What what kind of book is this? What, What kind of God is this? These are the questions that are being raised now inside the churches. And I get it. I'm skeptical by nature. And over the years, I've really wrestled. And so I have a ton of empathy for those of you that are still working out your relationship with the Bible. In the early years of my faith, and I came to Jesus in my early 20s, in the early years of my faith, I, I, I almost gave it up several times because I would encounter an idea or a scripture, something that was disturbing in the Bible. And a few times I was so shaken that I just teetered on giving up Christianity altogether. But after a ton of prayer and a ton of struggling, I'm in a very different place now. And some of you might be like, well, I hope so. Pastor, okay, there, there are things that, that's, that bother me, and I have a ton of questions still, but the Bible really has become like cold water to my thirsty soul. And when I read it, I encounter a God that inspires me, and it fills me with hope, and it fills me with peace, and it fills me with new life. But it didn't always. Okay, so I get it. I have a ton of empathy for those of you that are still in process. So we could start there, the questions and the problems. It'd take years. But there are great answers to a lot of that stuff. Not all of it, but a lot of it. But but here's the thing. That would start us off with a heart posture where we are the judge and the jury, and we put the Bible on trial. And we examine the evidence to see if it is guilty or innocent. 
And while some of you really, you like really do need to go through that process, you do. Like in order to come to trust the Bible, you, you need to do that. But here's the thing, you guys, it, it's really not the right heart posture of an apprentice of Jesus toward the Bible. So another place that's further down the path toward apprenticeship to Jesus is that we could start with the Bible's claims about itself. What does the Bible say about itself? And that's like really fun. And, and there's a ton of rabbit trails we could go down. But if, but if you're one of the many people who doesn't already trust the Bible, that's a non-starter because it's circular reasoning. Right? We don't trust the Bible as scripture just because it claims to be scripture any more than we trust the Koran or the Book of Mormon because they claim, in, though in a different way, to be a kind of scripture. But even for us that have come to trust the Bible, and there are many of us, like we're there, we're in, it, it's part of our life with Jesus. That still has us in a heart posture that I don't think is quite right. Where we stand at arm's length from the Bible and we evaluate it, and in a way, we attempt to control it. But as we will see as we walk through this more, control is incompatible with spiritual formation. And we can all think of people who knew the Bible, who know the Bible really well. They know it like the back of their hand, and they have very sound theology, but they have not become more loving or joyful or at peace like Jesus. So I think it's better to start off our conversation from another place, not with all the questions or problems that people have with the Bible, not even with the Bible and what it says about itself. Here's a thought. What if we start our conversation on the Bible with Jesus? After all, Jesus was a rabbi, which just means what? Teacher. And, and what did Jesus teach? The scriptures, right? He taught the scriptures. Jesus was a teacher of the Bible of his day, the Jewish scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament. Jesus read the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. He taught from the scriptures. He interpreted the scriptures. He took issue with other interpretations of the scriptures. His mind and imagination were saturated by the scripture and its story. He, he, his identity itself and his vision of life in the kingdom of God, it was all based on the scriptures. His reverence and respect for the scriptures was off the charts high. He said things like, the scripture cannot be broken. In another spot, referencing one of the Psalms, Jesus said, David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, and then boom, Jesus quoted from the Psalm. And to Satan himself, Jesus said, it is written, then quoted from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I mean, the reason many of us have made the Bible central to our lives is not usually because we have an odd fascination with ancient literature. Right? Like, if that's you and that's why you read it, like, wow. <laughs> like, right on. Like, you go, baby. But for most of us, that's not it. We, 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 we read it because we love and have come to trust and have decided to apprentice under Jesus. And at an intuitive level, we just know that, like, Jesus and the Bible, they come together. 
I would argue that there is no version of legitimate apprenticeship to Jesus that does not have a central place for the Bible and does not read the Bible as Scripture. Uh, Andrew Wilson is the teaching pastor at King's Church in London, and I really like how he explains this. He writes, ultimately, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ, the man who was God, the king of the world, the crucified, risen, and exalted rescuer. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus. I love him, and I've decided to follow him. So if he acts and talks as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, and powerful, I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular. So I'd like to start off our discussion on Scripture from a different place. Instead of the questions or problems that people have with the Bible, or even what the Bible claims about itself, I think it would be very helpful to simply ask, what did Jesus have to say about the Scriptures? Um, last spring and summer, we did a series, Casey and I did a series, on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, the most complete and famous sermon of Jesus. Does anybody remember that? Oh, thank God. Okay, anybody, what was it called? Oh, come on. The mountain. Thank you, wife. Oh, it was Beulah? Sorry, Beulah, that, that was awkward. Okay, so... Let's go back to what Jesus said toward the beginning of that teaching, okay? We're going back to the Sermon on the Mount. And, and this was intended to kind of frame up his entire sermon that was about to flow out of him. He says in verse 17, Matthew 5, 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the phrase, the law and the prophets, was a first century Jewish way of summing up the scriptures as they existed in Jesus' day. In our, in our day, what do, we call, what do we call that? Anybody know? The Old Testament. And, and Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. The, the Greek word uh, Matthew uses here meant to like tear something down, to like tear down a building, or also it meant simply to disobey. So, so Jesus was saying, I have not come to disobey or disrespect or tear down the Old Testament. Now, question. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. Why would Jesus even need to say that? Well, apparently, Jesus was saying, doing, and teaching things that were so radical, so countercultural and subversive to the religious time of his era that some thought that he had come to just override the scriptures. To like throw them out and then move on. But he says, no, I've not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. Guys, this is not what a, a, a Jewish person would expect a rabbi to say. Okay, the, the word abolish, if the word abolish means to disobey, try to, try to get your mind around this. If the, if the word abolish means to disobey, then you'd expect Jesus to complete his thought this way. I have not come to disobey the scriptures, but to what? Obey them. 
But guys, that's not what he says. He says, I've come to what? Fulfill them. It's like Jesus sees the entire Old Testament as being something that paved the way and led up to him. And he goes on to say this. He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The scripture is here to stay. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, you guys, this is the intro to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was about to teach on the heart behind a lot of the Old Testament scriptures. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. And so he's saying, if you devote your life to living out these scriptures as I'm about to interpret them and explain them to you, and you help others to do the same, you will be called one of the great ones in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus goes on to teach the Old Testament scripture. Like verse 21, coming right out of this, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, and then there's a quote from Exodus Chapter 20, you shall not murder. And he interprets that passage for his hearers. And then all throughout that sermon, he does the same thing again and again. He quotes from the Old Testament, and he says, you have heard it said. And, and then he teaches on, he says, and, and, and then he, he quotes something from the Old Testament. And then he says, but I tell you, and he teaches on the heart behind the Old Testament passage. You guys, for, for most of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was, was simply teaching on the already existing scripture of his day. He was calling into question common misinterpretations of those scriptures and then inviting people not just to the right interpretation in their mind, but to practice, to, to live out the heart behind the scriptures. Now, please notice the implications of this. It means that Jesus' way of reading scripture calls into question other ways of reading Scripture, both in his day and in our own. Now, in, in our day, the Bible has kind of been caught up in the culture wars of America. Have you seen that? Have you felt that? And, the, and this growing polarization that there is between the right and the left. And, and while there are many facets of right versus left, one of them is how the two extremes tend to view the Bible. And while this is completely a generalization, the left tends to view the Bible as merely a human document. The thinking of the left toward the Bible often sounds like this. Well, it's, it's full of human errors and contradictions. It's, it's outdated or even, uh, it has outdated or even dangerous ideas like patriarchy and capital punishment and tribalism. And who knows how it was all put together with like Constantine and, and all of that. Wasn't there a book that exposed the, the messiness of all that called The Da Vinci Code or something like that? And then, there wasn't there like a movie with Tom Hanks. And I mean, all of that was totally historical, right? Anyway, there, anyway, there are real problems with the Bible, so we shouldn't take it too seriously. But, but... It did record people's, people's experiences with spirituality, and, and much of it is stunningly beautiful literature, and it did give shape to Western civilization as we know it, 
So surely it is worth a read now and then. And this way of reading the Bible often takes it seriously as human literature, but not as scripture. This view has a hard time accepting the Bible as both a divine and a human expression, okay, as scripture. But, but in many cases, this is actually a predictable reaction to something else. It's a very natural reaction to the extreme rights way of reading the Bible. And by extreme right, I mean like the fundamentalist approach to the Bible. Tim Mackey, a scholar, great scholar, does the Bible Project stuff. Some of you are familiar with that down in the uh, Portland area. He calls the fundamentalist view of Scripture the, the golden tablets view. This sense that the Bible just sort of fell down to us out of heaven. That human beings weren't really involved in the creation of it, except for maybe some sort of like mindless uh, dictation by God. It's like the idea is that like they sort of fell into a trance and then they woke up and they're like, whoa, and they wiped away the drool and miraculously there were words on the papyrus. So it's most definitely a divine work. It is the word of God, but you, you don't need to really think of it as human literature at all. In fact, that's a frightening idea. And along with this view comes stuff like, it's always easy to understand. There aren't any contradictory ideas in it. It's all very clear. It's just our manual for living. So for any issue at all that you are facing in your life, you can go to the Bible for a clear answer on exactly what you should do next. Because it's just an answer book for any question we might have. And if you're from the South or, or you have a little bit of background with this more like fundamentalist type thinking, maybe you've heard it sort of expressed this way. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that what? That settles it. Okay. The problem is that conveniently leaves out one like minor step. The Bible says it, but then like I have to interpret it which turns out to be really challenging sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't settle it at all. So this way of reading the Bible often takes it very seriously as scripture, as the word of God, but it doesn't also treat it as human literature. So here's the thing about the Bible, about scripture. Guys, it was written by human authors in a certain time and a certain culture in a certain place facing certain issues. And they were writing to a very specific audience of their own day to communicate to them a very specific idea. And if we fail to take into account the human literature side of the Bible, we can end up way out in left field trying to interpret it. And that's when crazy stuff happens all in the name of the Bible or in the name of Christianity. Stuff like justifying the practice of slavery. Okay, stuff like supporting the ongoing subjugation of women. So as we begin a conversation on scripture, it's important to recognize fundamentalists and progressives read the Bible very differently. Now, there's way more than just two views or two camps when it comes to viewing the Bible, but these really are the two most prominent and two most vocal groups in our culture. And in Jesus' world, there are some real parallels between this sort of right and left polarization. 
fundamentalists, progressives, and how they read the scriptures. In the first century, there were several distinct sects of Judaism, and two of them are ones that we encounter in the New Testament a lot, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus encounter people from both groups. Now, the Sadducees have much in common with progressives of today. And the Pharisees have many parallels with fundamentalism. But it's interesting because Jesus took issue with both groups' reading of Scripture. The Sadducees were a small group, okay, a very small group of well-educated, upper-class elites. And they operated mostly in the urban centers of Jerusalem. They were powerful in the political and economic levels, and they worked hand-in-hand with the Roman Empire and really set the trajectory for all of Israel. Okay, they were Jews, but they were very, very casual about their relationship with Scripture. They didn't take the Scriptures very seriously at all. They were hesitant to believe in the possibility of the supernatural, They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels or demons, and they didn't even believe in prayer on most levels. And they were more than willing to accommodate the scriptures to the -the state-of-the-art, current-day, Greco-Roman vision of the good life. So let's look at one interaction between Jesus and the Sadducees all around the scriptures. Okay, this is Mark chapter 12. It says, Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us, okay, so from the Old Testament, that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, that sounds horribly weird to us. Um, And I think about some of you, and I know your brothers and all of that, and just be weird, okay? And, and this would really take a lot of explanation, but this was a law in ancient Israel that was a kind of social justice. It was intended to provide, provide for and protect women. It's actually beautiful in its time and in its setting, but there are issues with it. These guys continue. They say to Jesus, now there were seven brothers, and, and next comes like the mother of all hypothetical <laughs> situations. They say the first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. And you think the fourth brother's like, I'm not marrying her. (laughs) In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. So here it comes. At the resurrection, Jesus Whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And they're just like, take that. Gotcha, Jesus. Boom. And it's like mic drop. See, no resurrection. Now, this is kind of like funny. But what I want you to notice is the contempt and the arrogance in their heart posture. Both toward Jesus and toward the scriptures. This is not just an attack on the idea of no resurrection. It's an attack on the scriptures themselves. And just listen to Jesus' reply. Jesus replied, Are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. The angels, by the way, that you don't believe in. 
Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Yeah, woo. You go, Jesus. Now this is Jesus' loving, but straight up word to the Sadducees who I think have a lot in common with the progressives of our day. You are badly mistaken. You are in error because you don't know the scriptures. You don't understand what they actually say. And as a result, you are missing out on the power of God. You badly underestimate what God is capable of doing. And so you are missing out on the activity of God all over your life. So there's that. But, but then there was this other group called the Pharisees. And most of us are a little more familiar with these guys. Jesus encounters them a lot in the New Testament. So let's look at a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were a Jewish movement that came from the rural areas. The Sadducees came from the urban centers. The, the, um, the Pharisees came from the rural areas. Okay, So they're like small-town, conservative, heartland kinds of people. And they, you guys, were all about the scriptures. They read them, and they memorized them, and they recited them, and they made their children read and memorize and recite them. For many of them, they would make their children have virtually the entire Old Testament, try to get your mind around that, memorized by fifth grade. Are any of you in here in fifth grade? Oh. How you doing on your Old Testament memorization? Guys, they would spend hours and hours every single Sabbath in the synagogue, reading it, discussing it, debating it, arguing about it. They would get up early in the morning to study it. They were devoted to it. But over time, they added to the scripture all kinds of like what we would maybe call man-made rules, what Jesus referred to in many places as human traditions. And they were extremely rigid about all of these human traditions. So let's look at Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees in John chapter 5. He says, you study the scriptures diligently, and it feels like Jesus is about to give these guys a high five. But, but notice that for Jesus, their heart posture is all off. You, got, you, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Okay, if, you, if you grew up Baptist, and I won't have you raise your hand or anything. There's nothing wrong with growing up Baptist. Okay. But if you grew up Baptist, maybe you've heard the joke about Baptists. I know that we, we all love a good Baptist joke here. Um, okay. Baptists believe in the Holy Trinity. You can complete this with me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy, and the Holy Bible. Okay, right? So for the idea is Scripture has sort of come to replace the Holy Spirit. And so instead of worshiping God as Father, Son, and Spirit, it becomes really kind of this backdoor worship of our own knowledge of the Bible. 
It's all, it's all about knowing more and more Bible. It's about having perfect theology. And so how do you know if you're a mature Christian? Well, you, you know not because of your character. Come on. Not because of the presence of, uh, uh, in you of patience and kindness and wisdom and peace and love and all of that. No, it, no, 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 no. That's a, it's measured by how much you know. Some of you grew up in church cultures like this, and you've seen it. And, and while people were, were devout and, and they, they seemed sincere and they were very religious, something in their heart posture was off, and you could feel it. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, you diligently study the scriptures, which, by the way, are all about me, and yet here I am, and you don't see me at all. You refuse to come to me and allow me to infuse you with the life of God that I'm so desperate to give to you. He goes on. He says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Don't you see? Your heart posture is, is way, way off. Yes, you know the scriptures, but the goodness of the scriptures isn't filling you. You know a ton, and you can quote a ton, but it's, it's not forming you. You aren't becoming a more loving person. Have you ever encountered anybody like that? Don't point. <laughs> I, you know, Jesus goes on, he says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but not, do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses. That's code for the first five books of the Bible, okay, of the Old Testament, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, if you actually like, believe in the scriptures, understood them and believed them, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, Jesus says. In other words, okay, you know the scriptures, you, you read them, you study them, you memorize them, but you don't understand them. If you understood them, you would recognize me and you would respond. These are the scriptures you claim to love with all your hearts. Yes, you love and study and know the scriptures, but you do not understand the heart behind them. This is Jesus' word to the Pharisees. It's loving, and it is loving but it is straight up. And the Pharisees have a lot in common with the fundamentalists of our day. Jesus said to them, and I think he would say to many today, you, you study the scriptures diligently, which is great, but for all the wrong reasons. You, you've lost sight of the reality that the, the, the Bible is a means to an end. The goal is to let scripture form you. To let it seep into your soul and make you more loving and peace-filled and wise and kind and generous and gracious and patient and hope-filled. The scriptures are just an invitation into the kingdom of God. But if you study them for the wrong reasons, you'll miss it. And so in both cases, with the Sadducees and with the Pharisees, Jesus is deeply concerned about their heart posture toward scripture because their heart posture was off. And so scripture was not having the effect on them that God desired. Let's look at one more passage from a spiritual sage. This one's not Jesus, but a spiritual sage named Paul. And, and this is from a letter that Paul, 
who was a former rabbi and former Pharisee, a man who left all of that behind because of his newfound love for Jesus. Uh, This is a word from Paul to his young protege named Timothy. And this is the second letter that we have a record of from Paul to Timothy. And so it's called what? Second Timothy. Brilliant. I don't know who came up with that, but that's so good. Here's what Paul writes about Scripture to a younger man that he was mentoring, a leader, a church leader. It says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. What a rich heritage he had and what a rich heritage many of you have as well which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As you immerse yourself in Scripture, he's saying it can draw you near to Jesus. It can make you wise and skillful for handling life, whatever it may throw at you. And then comes an iconic statement from Paul about the nature of Scripture itself. He goes on and he says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed, which, which can also be translated inspired. But really, the Greek word most literally means like breathed out by God. And the idea is that all scripture is both a divine and a human word. It's guided by God's spirit, but it comes through a human author. And then Paul lays out for us what what Scripture is intended to do. And he laid this out for for Timothy. What what is Scripture for? What's the purpose? And I think this four-word description is so rich and it's so deep. Paul says it's for four things. First, it's for teaching. To reveal to us the whole new possibility of life in God's kingdom on earth through wholeness in Jesus. His kingdom on earth and beyond. In Jesus. Second, rebuking. To reveal to us all the ways we are currently living that are out of alignment with that wholeness in Jesus. Third, correcting, which means to bring back into alignment. Scripture brings us back into alignment with wholeness in Jesus. And then fourth, training. And this was a well-known Greek word in Jesus' day. And it referred to the overall process of growth in a Greco-Roman child, like from infancy to childhood all the way to adulthood and maturity. So a parent or a tutor would teach the child to become an adult all through a beautiful combination of discipline and education and exercise and structure and wisdom and so on. And so there's something about regular interaction with Scripture that can have this effect. It it can be like a really good parent or a really good father, a really good mother, or a really good teacher, or a, a really good coach. It nurtures and grows our soul into expansion and wholeness in Jesus. So all four of these things are moving us toward an end, verse 17, and all of it is so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The goal is to become the epitome of all that a human being can become, to actually expand 
into the potential every human being embodies. And all of this happens through wholeness in Jesus. So if we hear what what Jesus is saying, and and then we hear what Paul is echoing, Scripture has the capacity to do extraordinary things in us. However, for Scripture to lead us to human flourishing, we must approach it with the right heart posture. And this is where, you guys, this is where it gets so tough. Because this heart posture is really foreign to us. It doesn't come naturally to us at all. It's not something that we were taught in school, and it is ra- it's a radically different way of reading and experiencing. And I, I think we could summarize the shift this way, from informational to formational. Ours, as we know, ha- has been called the information age. Right? Information has become a form of power. Whoever has the best information about God, about money, about diet and exercise, about politics, about whatever, is in the best position to control their life and to get the outcome they want. In addition, our education system, as well as the the digital age, train us to read for information, not for formation. So when we come to a textbook or, or a self-help book or a work of journalism or a blog or a social media post, our goal is not to let it form us, right? Our goal is to get what we need as fast as possible in order to have more control over our life. But, but this is the exact opposite of the core goal of being an apprentice of Jesus, which is learning to give up our control. Like when you think about it, the great challenge of the spiritual life is learning to give up the illusion of control. But the human side of me, man, it wants to control as much as, as it possibly can. And it causes me to fear, and it causes me to worry, and it causes me to lie and to power up. And I now see that this clamoring for control that is going on in me all the time, it brings about the absolute worst in me. So back to our heart posture as we engage scripture. Jesus is inviting us to shift from informational to formational. Now, the goal of informational reading is to cover as much ground as fast as possible to get the data that I need. Formational reading is about quality, not quantity. We slow down and we sit in a posture of humility. And it's all about life with Jesus. Informational reading is linear, like, okay, well, what's the next thing, and how do I make sense of all of this? Formational reading is all about depth and mystery and an open heart. The goal of informational reading is to master the content, to understand it so that we can bring it under our control and we can use it, whereas the goal of formational reading is to be mastered, to allow the content to change us and to form us, to control us. Now, I just want to say, informational reading is not bad. Informational reading is not evil. We all need to do a fair bit of it, right? I do it as part of my role as a pastor sometimes. It's not evil or bad. There's a time and place for it, possibly even with the Bible. 
But to read the Bible not just for information, but formation. For most of us in this room or online right now, this is going to require a deep shift in our inner being. And it's one that we often resist kicking and screaming. The very idea of letting go of control and giving it over to God confronts our deeply ingrained sense of being. We, we resist being shaped by God according to his agenda. But this is the necessary heart posture of an apprentice of Jesus. And the thing that I've learned in this past season in my own journey with Jesus is that as long as I'm trapped inside the prison of my own egocentric control, I'm not free to become the person of love and joy and peace that I ache to become and that Jesus is calling me into. I guess I might summarize it this way. I, I'm, I'm continually discovering that the basis of freedom is an inner yieldedness to Jesus. And this inner yieldedness is a part of how I best approach Scripture. Rather than going to it looking for stuff that helps me achieve my goals, rather than looking for things within it that I already believe, if I yield, Scripture has the power to make me into something new, something beautiful. But this is a very difficult posture to take with Jesus or with Scripture. Because all of us, no matter your personality type or your background, on some level, all of us resist the Holy Spirit in this arena. Right? Like in the language of a, of a three-year-old with their older sibling. How many of you have ever had a three-year-old that has an older sibling? Okay, right now, let's go. In the language of a three-year-old with an older sibling, what we do is we say, you're not the boss of me. Right? Which is just a, a three-year-old's honesty about what we all feel right? You're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. You guys, I, I feel that and have felt that my whole life so strongly inside of me. But, but what I'm discovering is the invitation of Jesus is to die to myself. Jesus says, Jesus says to take up your cross and die to yourself. And, and I used to like visualize that. Here's the thing. How many of us are like, can't wait to do that? Right, like I, I, I used to sort of visualize that as this like grasping, white knuckle clutching, flex all of my my muscles grasping. This this sort of grit my teeth like oh deny yourself. But I found that that doesn't actually work very well. Like in the moment of temptation or in the moment of anger or in the moment of decision or in the moment of, of weakness or whatever, this screaming where it's just like, do the right thing, Jason, deny yourself. <laughs> and more and more I'm learning, it's, it's really, it's, it, it's not this like, you know, clinched up thing. What Jesus is actually talking about here and the invitation is, is, to, is to do this. It's just this. It's a spirit of, of yieldedness to Jesus. It's, okay, Jesus, here I am. Have your way. And it's funny because I have spent so much of my life resisting that place. And some of you are like, oh, before you were Christ follower. No. 
I have spent so much of my life resisting that place. I want to control my own life. How, like, live how I want, do what I want. But more and more, what I'm seeing is the effects of that in my spirit. The more I try to control, the less free I become. The more I try to control circumstances or the people in my life, the less free I am to live with love and peace and joy. It's almost like, this is crazy, like Jesus understood that the only way to life comes through death to self. But something else that I'm seeing is that I am completely incapable of doing this. Like to even begin with the first steps of this, I need help. I, I need Jesus. And what I'm seeing is I, I actually need, I need Jesus to set me free. The good news is this is what's on offer. Freedom through death to self with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. So today we, we start a series on Scripture. And the big takeaway for today is this. Like, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Heart posture matters. For the scripture to form us, to set us free, we have to resist doing this and begin to approach it like this. But, but in a discussion on scripture, I just want to say, guys, this is only the starting point. And I want to come back to what I said at the beginning. For many the Bible is now more of an obstacle to faith than an aid to it. And that's why I really want to talk about it for several weeks, because there are a whole lot of reasons that it is difficult for us. There's a whole lot. And so please, please, please understand what I am not saying. Okay, I am not saying that if you read Scripture and it's a struggle for you, that it must be that your heart is off. I am not saying that. I need you guys to look at me. I am not saying that, okay? I'm saying that without the right heart, heart posture, we're going to be in trouble. I am saying that. But there are many, many, many reasons that we struggle with Scripture. And so in the coming weeks, I hope to walk through a whole lot more of this. We have a hard time understanding it. We have a hard time knowing how to approach it. And so I want us to walk through some things that I'm hoping will be helpful for you. And the reason that I'm passionate about this is because I really do believe that there is life in Scripture. In these past, past few months and years, you guys, I, ha I have walked through so much, as many of you have. So much uncertainty, so much struggle, and, and Jesus has carried me. The only reason I've made it through is because Jesus has carried me. He's steadied me and he's given me peace. But the primary way that he does that is through Scripture. And my desire for all of us is that Jesus would carry all of us in this same way. That more and more it would become cold water for our thirsty souls. And so I, I want to spend these next few weeks walking through some of the obstacles with you guys. And so today is, is just the foundation, okay? Heart posture matters. Now, I, I wrote out a little prayer to Jesus about my relationship with Scripture, and I want to invite you guys to just close your eyes. And um, Matt and Rebecca, you guys can make your way up.
But I want to read this prayer to you, and I want to sort of invite you to let your, your spirit engage in it and join me in it. And if this reflects your heart as well, then uh, I want to invite you to say amen at the end. It goes like this. Jesus, thank you for giving me so much grace. I have wrestled with the Bible since I first started seeking you, and it's not come easy to me. There's so much I struggle to understand. But I believe you want to speak to me through it, and you have many times. There have been many times I've needed you to speak, and your word has come to life for me and given me hope or courage or clarity or helped me deal with sin in my life in a way that's led to healing and flourishing. But it's also confusing and hard, and sometimes I don't feel much at all. So when I encounter stuff that seems weird or confusing or even upsetting, help me to continue to trust you in it. Help me approach it with, with open hands and an open heart. Over the years as I've kept at it, you have brought so much of it to life for me. Jesus, please continue to bring more and more of it to life. Help me to establish rhythms in my life that enable me to encounter Scripture in a regular way. As I listen to worship music based on Scripture, as I listen to sermons, as I read it and journal, as I read it in groups and discuss it with other people, Jesus, would you bring it to life for me? And as a result, would you fill me with the life of the Holy Spirit? Jesus, please use it to form me into a person of love and joy and peace and courage. And all who feel and agree with this prayer came together and said, Amen. As we spend time now in worship and reflection, I, I just want to invite you guys to, to do something we've been talking about for the last year or so, which is to, to allow your body, the posture of your body, to align with your heart posture. And so whether you want to sit or you want to stand, I just, I just invite you to do it with open hands. And to express to Jesus, I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do it in my walk with you, and I want to do it with Scripture. Help me. Help me, Jesus.